You're listening to the Butterfly Effect Podcast, episode number 17. Today I'm sitting down with Michael Fitzgerald, the owner and operator of Optimum Performance Training in Calgary, Alberta, and coach to an extensive list of athletes from all sports, including everyone from CrossFit Games competitors to little old me. Today we're talking everything fitness and performance related. If you enjoy this episode, all I ask is that you screenshot it and share it on your social media story or feed to show your love. If you have a second to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or SoundCloud, the show can continue to grow and expand its listeners. Taking the time to share it with your followers and subscribers will totally help keep it thriving, so I can continue to bring you quality episodes like the one you listen to today. This is the Butterfly Effect Podcast, and I'm Ashlyn Newlove, tackling everything from fitness, nutrition, business, life, ice cream cones, and everything else in between to help inspire people to make one change that causes their ripple effect. Welcome to episode number 17. So for those of you who don't know who I am, I'm a fitness and nutrition coach helping people have fun, keep fit, and reach their goals while they're at it with my online program, The Sweat Effect. I reached out to Michael a couple months ago after the CanWest Games after his athletes dominated the podium. I'd been working out for just my health for the past year and a half, and doing a large competition sparked my love for competing again. I definitely wasn't in competition shape, and it killed me to watch other competitors that I used to have similar abilities to blow past me with the dedication that they had given to the sport in the past year that I hadn't. I knew I wanted to change from what I was doing and felt that personalized programming was a better way to go. I also have some old injuries and sometimes need a workaround, and following a blanket program like I was just wasn't maximizing what I needed. Plus, I've never really had my own coach to study my movement patterns, my mobility, and give me specific exercises to strengthen those areas of weaknesses. So I thought, why not? So Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to get together with me while we're in Calgary. You're welcome. Okay, so you are probably the one person in my life that I don't know a whole lot about, but probably follow and listen to and get the most direction from. So tell me all about yourself and how you get to be a part of so many people's lives, I guess, all around the world. Yeah, so um, I'm the owner of Optimum Performance Training here in Calgary. Um, and I've been the owner of this facility since January 2012. And before that, I worked for this business for my brother. Mm-hmm. And I purchased the business from my brother after working for him for just around three years. And start that started in May 2008. And prior to that, um, I was at a university in uh, St. FX, St. FX University in Nova Scotia. Um, I was there for four years. And before that, I was growing up and living in uh, Wabush, Newfoundland and Labrador. Oh, so you're a Newfie then. I, sort of, but not really, I guess, because I'm from the Labrador section. I'm not the island. I'm not the islander. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I guess the my uh, my accent 10 years ago, 15 years ago, definitely would have suggested I was a newfie. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's <laughs> definitely, uh, I, I, I think when I say certain words really quick, you could probably hear it still, but it's definitely, it's mostly gone now. Yeah. I, once you said it, I was like, oh, I can catch just a little yeah. bit. <laughs> There's still some remnants there, which I love. That's okay. Okay. So your brother was known as OPT. So does that mean you're OPT now? Um, my brother was, used to sign on to, uh, I th- yeah, I, I guess he was, he was, no, he was known as OPT, uh, starting in CrossFit probably in 2000 and on CrossFit.com starting in, I don't know, probably 2005, 2006, cause that's what he used to sign his sign is a uh, post as, and then it just kept going. Is that right? And then he'd be referred to as that. Um, I'm not sh- like, uh, I, I assume people still call still call him that from his historical competing mm-hmm. uh, we never use that uh we never use that moniker here but people still just call us or say that's what it is yeah um referring to the business right so for example when um at can west games like instead of the announcers saying optimum performance training they just say opt we don't tell them to do that. They just do it. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of what you would probably assume the business is as well. A lot of people just assume that, which is fine for us. Doesn't matter. Um, but also, you guys were competed at the CrossFit Games too. Yes. 
Um, I'm not sure if we were the first brother or sibling combo to compete at the CrossFit Games. I don't know if that's if that's true. Maybe in 2007, 2008 there might have been. But yeah, my brother and I competed in 2009 together and 2010. That that must have been a pretty cool experience since it is completely different now. Yeah, it's it's so far removed uh, from those years that it's almost not the same sport at all. It's uh, it's grown up so much and it's changed so much, and the caliber of athlete uh, that doesn't even come close to making the games is better than anybody that competed in two thousand nine and ten. <laughs> what was your What was your event in that year? What was the event you did the best in? Which year? Two thousand nine. Yeah, the first year. So that was the last year at the ranch. Um, I did I did really well in a bunch of events, which is what allowed me to survive uh, the first. I think the first year that I'm not 2008 did they have that, but 2009 they had cuts. They had a bunch of cuts of the field because there was like uh, there was a lot of guys, but they cut the field two or three times on the first day, and I think only the top 16 made the second day of competition. And it was only two days, oh. and, I, and I ended up finishing 16th after the first day, and I, I moved up to 11th after day two. So that's where I finished. Was that the uh, year your brother won? No, my brother won two years prior, 2007. Oh, okay. So my best events in 2009 were uh, definitely the first event, which was the run. I think I finished fourth or fifth, which is the 7K trail run, something like that. And then I did really well on the hill sprint. And then I did uh, well on that ridiculous uh, row, sledgehammer row event. Oh, random. Yeah. And then the last event of the weekend, which was the uh, a chipper. Uh, yeah, it was the last event on Sunday. I did really well on that one, too. I think I finished third, second or third overall. And now you're taking it back to your running roots again, hey? Now, currently, yeah. I'm I'm back. Uh, yeah, I guess I, uh, there was like a period of like my last year trying to compete uh, in CrossFit or competing locally uh, at a competitive level was 2016. I think it was winter 2016. It was the last time I did that. And then since then, I've, I've, I've uh, 2017 and 18, I did the Open, but I just did it for the hell of it. I didn't care. So I basically had two years there where I wasn't really competing in anything. And I, and I, I like competing in things. And I was just kind of getting a bit bored with, uh, with, with, with not competing and not really having a lot of purpose to what I was doing in training. Like I was, I was using myself as a Guinea pig for certain, uh, testing equipment we had here, uh, just to see how they worked. So that was fun for a bit, but yeah, running, running became, uh, became it became an option to me last summer when I thought about like hey let's let's sign up and let's try to do a marathon and long story short I did a poor job of preparing for it so I didn't get to run the marathon in August of last year because I ended up uh and I ended up having a foot injury which was my own doing and um so then after that I focused on wanting to run a marathon uh, here in Calgary which is this past May and I did and I ran a and then I just ran a half marathon uh, yesterday, or two days ago, sorry. And the weather was not marathon weather. The marathon weather was great in May. Uh, <laughs> the half marathon weather uh, this past Saturday was less than stellar. It was, yeah, minus two or three at the start. Uh, there was a bit of wind falling. Most of the trails and the roads were somewhat covered in snow, but most of it was kind of clear. Uh, but there were some icy patches with the uh, with the downhills and the turns, and but overall it was fantastic. It was a great experience. And it's, but it's it's not so much about the uh, the running itself. It's just the experience of challenge and the experience of ch- like challenging myself in in something I've been working towards. And that's why I that's why obviously um why I guess a lot of people love sport. But that's why I initially loved CrossFit, and I still love CrossFit, but I don't love competing in it anymore. So currently my outlet for competing is running and I, I really love doing it. Did you see a lot of people, you know, change where their focus was at when things kind of changed with regionals and whatnot for competitive wise with CrossFit? Uh, I, I think in terms of a competitive and, and like the idea of competing uh, and what they were training for may have changed, but they like, like they didn't, they didn't quit. Like a lot of people didn't, like they never quit. They just kind of had to refocus about why they were doing what they were doing. And then what's now, what's the current method of how they're going to do it. 
because the previous option for people that were the top in the sport, right, was there was like, you know, you might go to uh, Wadapalooza in January or February, and then you might do the Granite Games in the fall um, for the top people in North America. And other than that, it's, you're going to do the Open, then you're going to do the Regional in your area of the world, and then you're going to try to go to the Games. And if you don't go to the Games, then after Regionals, it's kind of up in the air what you're going to do, and then you plan for next year and redo it again. Um, so that that format and that lifestyle of competing changed into, okay, now there's a lot of options, and there's way, everything's kind of completely different now. Um, and I think this year hopefully being the second year of this new format will be better for everyone because they'll have a better understanding of it. Because last year, a lot of people didn't really know what they were doing because it was very confusing. Um, yeah, so hopefully this year will be better. But overall, I don't, a lot of people didn't, they didn't, they, they never quit competing. They, they've, uh, they were forced into having to change uh, and, and, and try to find a new way of doing what they were doing and understanding why they're doing what they're doing. So I guess that kind of leads into my first question. What do you think the biggest mistake you see in people who are trying to be competitive? Oh, that's a good question. I don't think, uh, uh, I don't know that there's any one mistake in people that are trying to be competitive. Um, you could probably take it from the hierarchy of like what makes people the best of the best. Um, and just in a real sport level, um, moving well that's part one like if you don't like if you're if you're performing the repetitions pick a movement and you're expending one two three four five percent more energy which means more oxygen requirements than you need to be that's problematic that's hugely problematic in a sport where the goal is to minimize energy expenditure while still going as fast as possible and whether that can be learned or that's an innate thing um, I don't think you can fully parse that, but either way, um, that's a gigantic component of it because the people at the top end of the sport, for whatever reason and what they're doing, what they're doing, it may not look, for some people, it may not look like the best movement ever. Like, for example, there's many athletes that perform ring muscle-ups at the games level, and you look at their backswings and whatnot, and it doesn't look that great, but that's that doesn't matter. All that matters is if it allows them to keep going. So in their own way, that's efficient movement for them or what they've learned to make efficient movement. That's, that's number one. Number two is then obviously like the structure of the body, the way the person is set up. Like if you're six foot six, six foot eight male, you're not going to the games uh, unless you're an absolute phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal specimen. Um, Even being just six feet is hard. For six a guy. feet's tough, right? Like Brent's Fikowski's holding it down for the tall guys. Uh, which is good. And, but as you could see this past year, like uh, in one of the events on the Friday night, you have an event like Mary, and there's really only so much a guy like Brent can do, right? And then that gets into the whole question of like work capacity, broad time modal domain, where you just got to change, change it to, no, it's not work capacity, it's task completion. Because Brent's doing a lot more work per round than someone else that's six, eight inches shorter than him and weighs, and weighs 30, 40, 50 pounds less. Um, so yeah, so obviously the height of the person, um, the actual, like, you know, the mobility, just one simple example, the, uh, the mobility around their ankle is, imp is imperative in CrossFit. Um, if you have very poor dorsiflexion at the ankle, uh, just a simple example, your positioning on a pistol, for example, will be quite poor. And just that alone is going to lend itself to being problematic to making the top level of the sport. It's going to be really hard. Just that one thing. So the structure, uh, and that can go throughout the body, just go through the hips and you go to the upper back and the shoulders. You, um, the top of the top people are probably not going to have many problems in, in, when you started thinking in those terms. So you have movement efficiency. You have the structure of the person. Um, and then <laughs> number three, before you get anything else, it, you have to want it. Uh, if you're not willing to do what's required, uh, and this doesn't, it doesn't matter what your training program is. It doesn't matter what your nutrition program is. If you are not willing and you don't have the motivation necessary to perform the actions, you're going nowhere. It doesn't matter. That's the base of your performance, in my opinion. If you are not motivated enough to do what's required uh, to compete at that level, 
you're not going anywhere. And everything comes after those three things, in my opinion. And so then that is, you know, if you have a coach and the program you're following and all of those other things that sometimes people put ahead of those three, right? It's naive. Yeah. And a lot of people think that because they have a certain nutrition program, it's going to help them. It can, uh, if the other things are in line. If there's no amount of eating well and there's no amount of individual training that's going to make you want it, there's no amount of that. Uh, it can make those. It can make the idea of getting to that point a little better because you're going to create a better environment for yourself. Um, but you 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 have to have that will inside you, and that's like can sound like a corny thing, but that's the truest thing you're ever going to hear. Is that the people that are going to succeed in the sport are the ones that are going to show up day in and day out, and are going to do everything required of them, and are going to go above and beyond. Uh, and you can't teach that to people. You can try to harness it and try to help them get there, but you can't do it for them. That's, I love it. That's perfect. Okay, so I hear a lot from people that they need to be in the gym working out with others so they can try harder. What's your take on training versus competing when people are in the gym and how is it beneficial or detrimental? Yeah, so uh, with our facility, we have a unique situation, right? Because we don't have any classes here. Um, and you can take, for instance, yesterday, like a Sunday, uh, there was probably, I posted a bunch of pictures of it just to make a point of how many different individuals we have here training at the same time. And none of them are doing the same thing. Uh, they might have similar things they're doing, but they're not doing it at the same time. They're not worried about what the other person's doing. And other, other than the fact that it just gets crowded, I don't see any problem with it. And I don't think I could be speaking out of turn, but I don't think they see any problem with it because they're focused on what they're doing. Um, and uh, I'm sure I know at times uh, some clients, they would like to train with other people and they try to it would be better if they're here. But I, I don't think that they need to be training with anybody else as long as um, there's someone in the gym with them. Yeah. Like there's just other people there doing what they're doing in like in their experience with them. They don't actually have to be doing the exact same workout, the exact same stuff. Uh, but then there are times for that, right? Um, so we do periodically get people together uh, as a group to do uh, the same the same events or the same tests and whatnot, just for both camaraderie and obviously just to give them that idea of like, listen, these are the people you're actually going to compete against. Um, and as you mentioned in the opening, like the Can West Games, uh, I, I can't even remember. There's like eight seven or eight girls from here that competed that at the Cam West games. And uh, I think seven of them were in the top 15 or so, or that last final. So they, they like, I was like, this is, this is the idea, which I told them ahead of time is that you're going to be competing against yourselves. Like your group you have here, you're going to be competing amongst yourselves at a lot of these competitions because you are the top end individuals. So this is a good opportunity for you to understand and feel what it's like. Uh, to work out against and compete against some of the best people around. Because luckily, gratefully, we have that opportunity to give that to them here. Uh, we used to do a lot. We used to do it every week last year, uh, but schedules changed a bit. And then this year, we, we're not doing it like that anymore. Um, but to answer your question, no, competing alongside people day in and day out is definitely not required. Um, but it goes back to the individual that... Um, if if that's if that's a catalyst to your success and having someone with you, uh, that's not a weakness. That's just the reality. Like if if you need to have someone with you to work out, um, it would be more optimal as a like in terms of um, like in terms of your success if you didn't need to have someone with you to make you do what's required. But like I was saying earlier, um, like you, if. if if having someone with you adds to that ability of you wanting it and you have you like increasing your motivation to train and try, try hard, that's what you need to do. Um, no different than if, if you're like, I, my mo like my ability and my will to do this is better when I train after work than it is at before work, then I would recommend you train after work because you're going to want to do it. You're going to be happier and it's going to become a more sustainable, uh, a more sustainable system and plan for you. It's, it's it's funny that you say that because when we first chatted, I was like, you know what, like if Curtis and I could do, you know, a workout together, you know, every second week or whatever. Now I'm like, eh, it doesn't matter. The only thing we competed this weekend and I was like, I don't know if I'm fitter. 
<laughs> and I was like, right, because working out by myself yes. in the garage, I, am I fitter? It did, did I push hard enough by myself? And then we went there and tested things, and yes, it turned out that I was fitter. So it was true. I didn't need to be doing workouts with him. I didn't need the push from mm-hmm. him. And I always thought that that was something that I needed as a person with that push from other people in the gym. But you get into that setting and I don't know. I don't think it is. I don't think it's true. I don't, it wasn't something that was, I needed in order to be a bit better. Yeah. I think, I think people, uh, they probably believe that or they're, I, I, I don't want to say they're taught to believe that, but maybe that's just from their own experience as to what they come to believe. Um, but what I tell people and tell my clients is that, like year after year, you've proven to yourself that you giving your best effort in your training sessions week in and week out has been enough for you to continue to improve and to finish and perform as you wish in the competitions you're aiming for. Why do you think that's going to be any different this year? So you always go back to as long as you know, because I trust you being the athlete, I trust you being the individual, I trust that you're giving your best effort. And if you are giving your best effort, that's all you can do. There's, th- that's all you can do, and then everything else is going to take care of itself. So I, the like, it's 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 not irrational to have doubts about that because if you don't have doubts about it, then you're irrational because you, <laughs> like, it's just natural to your mind to wander, right? To to worry about what other people are doing. Um, but the goal is for you to compare yourself to yourself. That's like you can't. That's all you can do. And if you stay with that, and again, if you remind yourself that every time, like in the past, my success has always been, I've been consistent, I've been doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I've been trying hard, that's always the recipe for success, provided you're doing everything else, right? Like you're sleeping adequately, you're eating adequately, you have enjoyable relationships, yada, yada. Um, As long as that recipe is adhered to, what's going to change? Like what's going to change? There's nothing, nothing's going to change. It's going to continue working. Uh, unless there's some big variable thrown in there, so uh, that's sh- that. I tr- I want people to understand that because I want to provide them the opportunity to own it. Like they're in charge of all this. Like it's not the fact that someone's not showing up to work out with you. It's you just doing the same thing over and over, which you've always done. It's always going to produce the same positive results. It's going to like the, in those actions, not meaning like they're doing the same training all the time, but those same actions of show up, do what's required, repeat. It's going to work. And I think. It's probably like kind of ingrained in them because most people come from group classes, right? Before yeah, most they- of our clients are, are all probably uh, previous CrossFit classes, most of them, right, where they would have started. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So then you get that belief that you need to be with other people to be working out and to be your best and things like that. And I've actually heard from, you know, other people in the shift in, you know, when people start to shift from gym to gym, finding, you know, trying to find what's best for them. I've heard other people get upset when somebody, you know, who is decent at CrossFit has left their gym because they need that person there to compete against in the classes and they feel that their training suffers if that person has moved on to train somewhere else. And I think that that's probably a poor mindset. So are you saying that someone's leaving, like someone is like someone at a, at a gym Mm -hmm. is mad that a good person left. Yes. So then they don't. Yeah. Um, that's not common to me. Well, well again, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm not in the loop. Yeah. Uh, I don't do any. We yeah. We don't do group classes. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not yeah. I'm that's not in pretty. The loop on that. That's a common thing in. Um, like you're one of the gyms that uh, we were like, oh, do you have classes today? And you were like, oh, we don't do group classes here. I was like, oh, I've never even been in a gym like this before. I don't. I don't like we. Uh, um, up until maybe a few years ago, I don't know that there was any gym like this in Canada. Yeah. There, there's more now, but I don't actually, don't, I don't even know if that's true. There, there, Yeah, there is. There's definitely a couple now, but before there was zero um, that just did group class, that did uh, either personal training or open gym. Yeah. That's it. Like, and we come from this world that it's only group classes. Mostly, and- yeah. Sometimes you can't even, they don't even offer times where you can just come into open gym and things like that. Like you yeah. have to do a class. Yeah. And that, that makes sense, right? If those gyms are busy, uh, they want to continue serving the members and serving and providing their best service and their most sought after service uh, and not and not opening up um, 
like open gym time just for the sake of making a couple extra hundred dollars, which can in effect negatively impact what they're trying to do, which is they're trying to do and provide good, good, uh, good uh, group training classes. Uh, So don't mess with that. And then we also go the, we're in the opposite direction. Our goal is to provide the best training experience we can for individuals. And we're not going to do anything to mess with that. Yeah. You're such a niche in the market. Yeah, we are. I've never seen another gym that operates that way. And it's, you know, neat to be a part of it because, yeah, I guess I didn't even really know much about the world of individualized programming and things like that prior to two months ago. And it's... It's different. Yeah, it's different. And it doesn't work for everybody. It works perfectly for us because we've got a weird setup too, right? And you program things specific to when Curtis is at work and Mm -hmm. he's got equipment in different rooms and we've got a ceiling height on our garage (laughs) that's short and we can only do muscle ups when it's nice out and things like that. So, I mean, it works because if you're following, you know, a blog style programming, there was things where you would change it and it'd be like, well, did I even really get the same stimulus out of that? Because I, it's just the nature of it, right? Yeah, no, definitely. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the process when you take on a new client. Okay. So you've been doing this for a while and you've met with hundreds of people. Do you find that clients are generally overconfident in their abilities, too hard on themselves, or pretty accurate when you first review like their intake forms versus seeing what you see when you first start training with them? Uh, all three. <laughs> yeah. Some people are um, they're too hard on themselves and they lack confidence. Some people are right on the money and some people are overconfident. Um, and I would say in certain, in certain circumstances, just with regards to, uh, working with new clients, uh, depending on what their goals are, right. Uh, you, you need to be either honest with them or you just need to work with them. So, and what I mean by that is you have, if you have someone who has a goal of, and this has happened many times, specifically more so years ago, um, but clients would start and they would say, like, we'd go through their stuff. And the, one of the first things we'd ask, like I would have asked you, uh, is like, what's your reason for doing this? Like, what's your goal with this, uh, with having someone like myself help you? And then their answer would be, you know, I'd like to compete at the at the West Regionals or the, or the, or the yeah, at the regional level. And I would just politely tell them that's not going to happen. <laughs> like, that's not a realistic goal. Yeah. You, need to, you, you need to think harder and we need to talk. But what's a realistic goal for you? And and I and just to give people context of why I'm saying that is because you'd have people that would ask this question in 2013 or 14, and they couldn't they could not do a ring muscle up, they couldn't do a bar muscle up, they can't walk on their hands, uh, they can snatch as a female like 85 95 pounds or a male like 140, like that's not realistic. Um, and for someone like that, it's important to ensure that they understand. Uh, exactly the requirements necessary. So then you just ask them that like, so, okay, let's just go through what do you think the, what's the requirement to finish, uh, to have the, to, to, to take the last qualifying spot from the CrossFit open uh, for your region? What do you think the last spot is? And just, and they'll start telling you the numbers. And I'm like, do you understand the difference right now? Like, listen to this, listen, listen to the numbers you're giving me. And this is what the last person to take that spot got. Okay, like, do you understand now? But it's very important. And then, but then with other people that don't have that, um, if they have a sense, if they over, if they over, like, if they're if they're exaggerating their performance, who cares? Um, like, if if that helps them become more, if that helps them be more uh, adherent, and that helps them feel better about their training, if they have like a sense of like bravado when they really shouldn't, I guess what's the harm in that as long as it works to help them get better and perform better and feel good about what they're doing that's what matters do you find that it's more like male to female related uh i i don't i don't track that um but just the the example i'm thinking in my head it's more uh, you would probably stereotypically put like the men being on the more overconfident side which is probably a fair estimate right and the Mm -hmm. women being on the more uh, less confident in their abilities um but, you know, for some people, like the humbleness of it is what it comes off as, is like not wanting to brag or not wanting to say they're good at anything. That may in its own way serve its own purpose of helping them continually push and push and push. 
because they're never satisfied. But obviously at a point, it can become problematic um, for them not to stop and smell the roses, right? But I think they probably learn pretty quickly too if they're like, okay, I'm awesome at this. And then you program it and then they take a huge nose dive and they're like, hmm, <laughs> wasn't as good at that yeah, the, as I the thought. Tra- the training in of itself, right, should, pro- should provide experience with that as well and provide awareness for those that want to be aware um, because you're given tons of scenarios and situations. And um, if someone's at a competitive level or wants to compete at the highest level, I'll give them a lot of benchmarks that I want them to achieve. Uh, and then they'll quickly know. I'm like, look, these are, this is what the scores are for these people. Um, and you're either, you're above that, so you need to be happy with that because these are the best people I work with. Mm-hmm. Or you're very below it, and then obviously this is something we need to work on. And this, that like, and don't take it good or bad. Just take it as a data point that this is what it is, and we have to work on it. It's better to know the information and have something to work with than it is to not know and have nothing to work with. Um, but then trying to frame that stuff for the client and help them understand why it's important or why it's not important is, is just part of being a coach. It's funny because when you asked me what my goal, you're like, well, like, why do you want to do this? I was like, I don't really, I don't know if I have a goal. Uh-huh. I just want to be, see yeah, what said, I can do. And you said you wanted to be, you wanted to be, well, one, to be fit again. And you yeah. wanted to see what it was like to have someone coach you and yeah. whatnot, right? And it's trying to see. See what the fittest version of myself yes, looked like. That's exactly what is, what you said. Yeah. I was like, I don't I don't know if I have like a goal, but it's also I feel like, you know, people go through those like ups and downs too. And especially like you said, with the way things changed. And I think there's so many people out there who kind of had that like apple in their eye of like, even if they were training at a gym, maybe they could go on the team to regionals yeah. and things like that. And then when that was kind of taken away, they were like, Well, some people went off and did more like, you know. Olympic lifting and some, you know, started training in a bit different areas. We trained for our health for a while. And then I was like, I don't know. Like, do you still do the local competitions? And like, is that going anywhere? You know? And I think that was a struggle for a lot of people when there was nothing out there again. Yeah. Like, um, what I was saying er earlier about getting into running competitively for myself, um, having a goal and having a purpose for what I'm doing is the glue that holds everything together. Yeah. And I mean, it holds everything together. Um, it makes me better at everything. It makes me think more clearly. Um, it provides me so much more structure within my life and why I'm doing things in the gym and why I'm doing things um, at home and whatnot. As opposed, And otherwise, I just feel like I'm kind of just floating. And for me, I don't like that. So I like to have little projects to do. Um, so for example, I feel like I'm getting a little bored, uh, or I'm not, not bored, but I'm not challenging myself enough at work besides my normal day-to-day stuff. So, uh, I'm going to purchase some new equipment specifically for my office here, uh, so I can do some more testing and assessments on people mm-hmm. because I just, I'm just curious and I'm just, and that's, that's another way. That's another way of me directing my motivated behavior, um, as opposed to I'm going to train and focus on running this race, this marathon. Now I'm going to train and focus on how do I understand what's happening with these athletes? How do I understand this? Just to work out for your health just isn't enough. Not for me, no. And yeah. just and just like just doing my job to the best of my abilities is also not enough for me. Um, so in general, because there must you must find some sort of a trend with this, like what types of athletes seek out your help? There must be certain similarities in them, you know? Yeah. People that are organized, part one. Nah, actually I can't say that because <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of clients that aren't really organized. Um, You're going to listen to this and be like, he's talking about me. No, they know who they are. <laughs> like, uh, for example, what I ask you to do uh, and, and Curtis, what I ask you to do is to, um, like I ask you to send me your results at the end of your training week, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a lot of people that never do that. Really? Yeah, they just don't. They know they're supposed to, and they just don't do it. But you, I'm like, I'm a data nerd too. Like, I love I know. putting the info in. The majority of my clients, and specifically women, um, they're good about it. And they get it back to me in time, and they have lots of detail, and it's informative, and it's helpful for me. Um, but sometimes, and there's women included in this too, but more so men, they don't. 
they don't report back the results, like that type of stuff. So that's what I mean by saying um, it's not just people that are organized because like clearly they're showing in their behavior that they're not that organized. So it can't be that it's the number one uh, variable. Well, maybe it's multivariate as well. But the people that are organized and are, uh, I guess you want to, I don't want to say you want to call type A, um, but people that like structure and fall and do well with structure and like guidance and are, and number one, that they're open to guidance is, uh, are the people that would be looking, that, that would be successful with this. They have uh, to have some sort of motivation too, right? They yeah. Have to be- they have to have goals in mind as a, and, uh, but some, it's like some people come here and they, they just, they literally just want to work out and that's fine. But they, but like it's their schedule could be the problem for them. It could be like, Hey, I can only work it on these days and this is what I have to work with. Can you help me with this? Because I can't make it to this gym and this gym and this gym. Or, hey, I work out in my garage gym at home, um, and we live in the middle of nowhere. So can you help me out with that? And it's like, yeah, sure, we can do that. Um, so there's tons of scenarios, right, like with that. But it's generally, if, I guess if, if it's if it's a specific thing you're looking for uh, and you want guidance and you're, and, uh, you're motivated to do what's required uh, and you like that setup, then, and you're accountable to someone and you like that setup, then we'll be great for you. Um, but if you like, but if you like changing, uh, like I like working out for three months and then I like swimming for three months and then I like golfing in the summers and that's, we're not for you. That's okay. And that's totally okay. That's totally okay. Like you don't have to be, uh, you don't have to be our optimal client. That's funny because it kind of leads into my next question why are you good at what you do? And if somebody asked why they should work with you, what would your response be? Uh, why am I good at what I do? Um, well, assuming I'm good at what I do, um, <laughs> then I'm, yeah, I, I would, I just care about it deeply and I've cared about it deeply for a really long time. And when I say I care about it deeply, again, it's not, it's in like, uh, one of my favorite quotes. I don't even know who said it, but I remember reading it from a guy, and it was like, you don't get credit for doing what's expected of you. So like, which I generally, I generally treat my clients that way as well. And the athletes is that you don't, you're not going to get credit for doing what's expected. And what's expected is that you're going to try your best and do everything. And no different from my, my perspective as a coach, um, what's expected of me is to give them the best training they can and help them as much as they can. That's expected. Okay. Um, but how do you go above and beyond that? And do you want to? Like, uh, it's not expected for people to continually learn about things or want to learn about things. Um, and then to think about it all the time, specifically when I was uh, years ago, and, uh, and I'm not joking about that, I would continually think about how to optimize like certain layouts of a training program. It would always bug me and I would always be thinking about it. And I would always be looking about it and I'd always be reading about it. And, and it's, but it's just, it's, and that's why I was saying that like just doing my job to the best of my ability is not enough for me. It's just not enough. Um, like in what, why we would run like fitness camps and athlete camps over the years, we didn't really make money doing it. I just loved talking about it so much that I wanted to organize a weekend where I could talk about it with people all the time and just can, and answer questions and go through it. And it was just more opportunity for me to talk about what I love doing. Um, it's, and I don't want people who are listening to get the wrong idea. It's not like I'm like, you need to be, you know, having your own programming and your mm-hmm. own coach and things like that, because it works for some people. It doesn't work for others. Yeah. It's an investment. Like, let's be honest, right? Yeah. You have to be willing to invest in yourself, yeah. uh, not just money, but time. And do you have a space to train and things like that? Like I said, some people from back home, the gyms that they go to, there isn't even open gym time. You yeah. do their workouts or you go somewhere else type of a yeah. thing. So that doesn't necessarily work either. But, you know, we've certainly found something that works better for us. And like you see a lot of people following like blog style programs these days. But what do you think the benefits of that are? And what are the downfalls of that? Because that's kind of where I was struggling before I came to you. Yeah. Uh, are you talking about the benefits of, of a blog style program? Yeah. Like, like what are the benefits of that? I mean, so the benefit, like, well, let's just say who can benefit from it. There's a lot of people that can benefit from it. Right. 
because you go back to the first three things I mentioned, which was what's going to be the ultimate determinant of your success. And one of them is your motivated behavior. And you can do that anywhere. So, and which I'm also fond of saying, doing a somewhat crappy program at 100% effort is much better than having a perfect program and not trying. Um, and, and that's just the reality of it. So with blog programs, if you have someone that like, um, if they're willing to master their craft and move and do things as perfectly and as optimally as possible and be conscious and be aware of it as much as possible to try to do it, to then subsequently make the movement unconscious. And then if they're the right body structure and if they're motivated to do it, once you, if those first three things are super important and then, um, it would be, yeah, okay. I do a blog program. Okay. Like, uh, if you're one of the best in the world, I don't think it's going to matter as much. But if you're if you're middle of the, of the group or if you're a beginner, it's going to matter much more. And I say that because there's going to be much more obvious deficiencies. Um, so then where it can work, like I said, is you have a well-balanced athlete. You say that they're, I don't even know how to define that, um, but they move well, they're relatively strong, they can perform all the movements, they like trying hard, they have a good schedule, you know. Doing a blog program, there's nothing wrong with that. It to- there's nothing wrong with that. But it's always going to be inferior to having a coach. It's always going to be inferior. There's no way around it. Um, but one of the downsides to having a coach, like you said, it's an investment. You mm-hmm. have to you have to pay for it, and then you have to want to do it. Because people are like, oh, okay, well, that wouldn't the cost of you know your monthly programming isn't that much more than a gym membership. Mm-hmm. Yes, but we had to invest in all the equipment to get there, right? The, yeah. The- so like, a lo- if you like, if you have a low cost open gym format to follow and then you want to pay additionally for a coach like let's say you don't live here yeah okay that makes that can make financial sense for you Um, but if you have to pay like the full fee to go to the gym and then you have to pay a fee for the coach and that starts to become problematic for people right Mm -hmm. because that's just you're going to look at and go am i really paying that much for my fitness each month but it obviously depends on what you value it which is totally okay um but when we were talking about you know, following blogs out, like it was one of those things that kind of used to work for us. Uh-huh. And then I don't know what it was. Like when, when we came back to it again, I, somebody did say once they were like, well, you have to be pretty well rounded to follow it, to like see really good results. And I was yeah. like, you know, maybe that's where it is right now because I do have some holes in my game that, yeah. you know, I'm not making some of the progressions yeah. that I would have liked with it. Uh-huh. And then the other thing I, is motivation too. Like if you're sitting there and you're looking at the leaderboard and you know, that's totally playing into like motivation and what your scores are at. I definitely didn't feel because you're following the same program uh, at a time before was definitely the thing to do. Then was definitely not the thing to do the second time we came back to it. Mm -hmm. It was that thing that didn't, it didn't work then for us. And that's, and like I said, that's totally fine. Right. Um, and that's that's just a natural limitation of it. the The big benefit for for a blog is that they can help more people. And if it's a really good, well designed general training program, it can help way more people than I can, because it's just the nature of it that it's open access. And yeah, you might have to pay a little bit for it, but um, they can do a pretty good job, right? But they can't do a better job. And there's no there's no you can't argue with that. Um, but so there's just pluses and minuses to it, right? Yeah. Um, and then each individual has their own, uh, like they have their own abilities and inabilities. And they're also going to have their uniqueness on how much focus needs to be spent on harnessing their, their abilities and then working on their inabilities and how many times per week that needs to be done and how much you can actually push it before you have to back off, before you might create a problem. So the idea with having a coach is that your training ebbs and flows with you, right? It moves with you. It's mm-hmm. like a dance, right? It just it should be moving with you and what you're doing and how you're evolving as an individual and an athlete, it moves with you. Um, versus before, like with a, with a blog, you have to move with it. For sure. And if you have injuries from, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be like sport-related injuries, if you had something prior, you need workarounds sometimes, right? Like I'm also not getting any younger, yeah. those types of things where it maybe wasn't working as well yep. as it did a few years ago. Yeah, and there's even athletes I have now that I've had for five, six, seven years where their training now is much different than when we started just because of their age and their development, like how much closer they are to their actual potential. 
um, is very important, which should be considered part of their training age. And then, um, and then, yeah, and then like overall, how like um, how much training they've done and how many miles they have under their belt. That's a huge component of it as well. So just pick an example, like a front squat, like how much, how many reps and sets are you could, should you be working on uh, to try to improve your front squat when you're at year one and you're an 18 year old versus how many reps and sets and how much, how much stress can you apply to that movement for that person when they're 45 and they've been working hard for 15 years. And when we I first did, talked and you said the words training age, I was like, <gasps> cause I don't like to think of like, you know, 36 is still young, but you were like, Hey, and your training age. And I was like, Oh, is, is that a thing for people my age? <laughs> and then I was like, Oh yeah, I feel it now. <laughs> yeah. And it's good. You'll feel it more and more as you go. And that's, and that's where it becomes important for you to then start taking more ownership of it and understanding how does this need to work for me and be honest about, okay, so, uh, and this, this becomes problematic for some athletes as they advance, because as you advance and what I was getting out the front squad is like, so there's a lot of potential for people when they're young, there's a lot of potential. And that means they have a lot of room for growth. So if you've been like, let's say you've been having a coach and you've been working your tail off for 10 years, you're not going to have much room for potential anywhere. And that's the reality of the, of the situation. And that means you had a good coach because you're at your peak and you, there's nowhere to go. And that's a reality. Um, but in those situations, you have to think about it like, it's more about how much work is required to stay where I'm at and to slow the regression as much as possible, as opposed to putting weeks and weeks of work in for 1%, which is going nowhere. And all you're going to do potentially in a sport like fitness is hurt them. So there's lots of other things you can spend time on. Um, but just in, but just going back to the front squat idea, you should be working to minimize the loading as much as possible while still maintaining the abilities because you're removing the loading from the system. And that's what you want to try to help athletes that are that far along. Just be ready and be fit as possible for when they're going to compete. So when you have been working with somebody for a really long time, uh -huh. like I in different situations, I believe sometimes complacency happens. Do you believe that happens in the coach-athlete relationship, or do you believe it gets better? Uh, for uh, it, both. Uh, for some athletes, it continues to get better. Um, and for some people, I guess we can find that there is complacency, both myself and them. And I think it's, and that's just, it, like, I can't say it doesn't happen because I'm not perfect. Um not yet anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, so it happens for sure, uh, both ends. Um, but that, that, and that's where like, um, I, I, if I had to say who it probably happens to the most, it would, it might be athletes at the moderate level of ability, intermediate level, because they're going to co almost continually be working on similar things. Like, for instance, if you're not good at or if you can't do a ring muscle up like that type of thing, or if you can do one or barely do one, um, you're going to be working on similar things uh, repeatedly, like over and over and over and over. Uh, and I just don't know another solution for it. Uh, maybe there is one, but I don't know what it is. But there's going to be similar things you're going to have to work on over and over and over and over. And same thing if you're if you're weak at squatting you're going to be doing similar things and similar progressions repeatedly. And it'll be mixed and matched a bit to try to make sure we, we prevent staleness and try to provide a different stimulus. But it's going to be a similar idea of pushing that one thing forward over and over and over and over and over, uh, which on the athlete's end can be, could become complacent. Um, but the goal would be then to try to recognize it and then go, okay, it's better to create uh, adherence and create satisfaction than it is to actually focus on the problem right now and to almost not do what's best for their physical ability, but do what's best for their mental ability and make them want to train again, um, which can in effect maybe work better. Um, so I guess like the repeat, rep the repetition of certain things can become stale and, um, unmotivating for people for people at the top end. Their training changes so much and can change so much. And there's so many ways to skin the cat, so to speak, that I feel like it's much easier to make it uh, to prevent that from happening and complacency. 
Um, but I think they have to know what question. their weaknesses are and yeah. they have to recognize that what they're doing, the repetitiveness of it is helping them get better. Yeah. Right. I said to you, I have poor leg endurance. What do we do? We do a lot of leg endurance. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? We're getting better at this. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not like, oh, we're doing this again. It's like, this is what yeah. needs to happen to get better at it. Yeah. And I try to give it to you in different formats, mm-hmm. right? Because the novelty aspect, which we, uh, which is true of the constantly varied idea with CrossFit. That's one of the that's one of the biggest selling features, is is the constantly varied aspect of certain things, uh, and the novelty component is very intriguing to people, and it creates motivation, and that in and of itself is important, but you can't let that go astray and then start tainting everything you're doing. Yeah, for sure, and I guess that's brings me to my next one. How is your style of coaching different than others? And if not different, then why do you think it's more effective than some? Yeah, I can't, I can't, again, I can't say that it's more effective than others. Um, I just know the way I do it is based on what I've seen work. And it also works with my personality and the way I like to do things. Um, but what, like, what, why would it make, why would it be effective and why are coaches effective? Uh, there's certain things you have to adhere to, right? Like, so again, besides the things you can't change, like you can't change who the person is. You can't change what, like their body structure, their makeup. You can't change who their parents were. Um, so that's where like assessing their abilities, honestly, uh, fig- like have, trying to create a good starting place for their abilities. So a good training effect for them where they're currently at and trying to decide how to move them forward. And then as they start moving forward, how do you keep it going forward? And how do you keep the ball rolling? And then once you pull, come up against the wall, which is going to happen, um, how do you how do you navigate around the wall correctly? And then once you have like a little setback, injury, schedule, whatever, how do you stop the ball from going backwards? And how do you get it going forward again? Um, just being aware of those things, um, and paying attention to what the athlete's doing and thinking about like you're trying to you're training a human you're not you're not you're not just writing workouts like you're working with a person uh you're not again you're not just writing workouts uh, and trying to understand how to put all those variables together and there's a lot of good coaches that can do that um that that's that's in that's imperative and not only that like the, the really great coaches the great coaches will make you want to do things that just by being with them will make you want to do stuff and make you want to be better. Um, and that's what I would want to be in time, right? Is to be like someone that, uh, that just by the fact that they work with me, they want to do better, right? To have that type of effect on someone. Well, and I think you can look at athlete success, right? And Sort of, yes, sort of. And I, and I, I like, it could be easy, and I can say that because it can be for my area, where I am in Western Canada, it could be easy for me to hang my hat on that because over the years we've had so many people go through the regionals and like um, that 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 are that are clients of ours, uh, and in, in a hugely disproportionate amount, hugely um, over the years that have been clients of ours. But you also have to understand that in an effect, it's because we're the only ones that do it. True. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'm, and I've, I'm fully aware of that, um, that basically someone could walk in the door here. That is the most gifted person I'm ever going to come across. And they may end up beating Matt Fraser at the CrossFit games. That doesn't mean I'm a better coach. It means that they chose me to help them. That doesn't mean that I'm a better coach. So when people come to you, uh... and the last thing with that is the best way to measure, in my opinion, the best way to measure that is to measure like how do they like how is this person and how is their their principles and how is their philosophy helping people that are at the intermediate level, not at the top end, not there, because that's it's there's so much room for error at the top end, um, because these people are so good, and I say that like uh, maybe naively because I don't have anybody that's the best in the world. Um, but it's much harder, in my opinion, to help people at the intermediate level try to make their way to the elite level and try their damnedest to get there. Um, that's a really that, that's a challenging prescription to do. 
And if you pay attention to who does that, um, you, you might there might be a lot of great coaches out there you have no idea about because you don't hear about them. Yeah. Um, do you find that when athletes come to you, there are, you know, so Curtis and I, for instance, is there a lot of people like me with my same abilities that come to you? Like there is a group of those type of people, you know, same with Curtis. And then some of the programming for those people ends up being a little bit similar because we have similar abilities or is everyone completely different? Oh no, there's definitely similarities for sure. Um, but if what you're asking, it's like when I, when I sit down and write your workouts, um, and same with Curtis, right? Like I have a, I have a format for you in my head or it's on the paper on the page and I'm filling it out. And then when it comes time for your next layout or next phase of training, which may be four or five, six weeks in a row, uh, I'll sit down and I'll plan that out as to what I want that to look like. And then I'll start filling in the blanks. So what I start with, though, is I have your assessment numbers in front of me and I have and I then over time, I don't even look at them because I just know you so well, uh, which is we're not there yet. Um, and then I'll just write and I'll just write a layout and I'm like, this is how we're going to do it. This is what we got coming up. This is what we're planning to do this is what she wants to do. Uh, and then we'll go from there. And yes, yeah, some of the layouts will be similar per person, but it always starts uh, with just a blank page that I start with. It's just a blank page. And I think, okay, this is the schedule. I write that out first. This is the priorities. I write that out second. And then I start filling in the formats, like the skeleton of the training program. And then I start actually writing the workouts. Yeah. Cause when we talked, I was like, okay, my leg endurance, not great. Mm -hmm. My endurance endurance, not great. <laughs> I'm like, eh, I could, you know, if I were to get compliment myself, maybe some Olympic lifting, I'm okay. Uh -huh. um, and then could use some work on some gymnastic stuff. Yeah. So how do you prioritize in that sense? Uh, yeah. So that's where, again, with, uh, you have to assess someone's ability and importantly, it's easier here. If you watch them, uh, you can see them do it and see how they're doing it and you can progress them forward more easily like that. But like when you send me videos and I watch you do certain movements, uh, and assuming there's no problems, like it doesn't hurt you or anything. I just, I, I start writing things in my head. Like I start thinking about, okay, this is, this is the way I would probably want this to work. Uh, and sometimes it's, it's an educated guess, right? You're like, this is probably what would be good for her. This will be a good, a good variation on what we did last week. And it'll, it'll be a, a positive forward or it's uh or for some clients I'm thinking of is that it's literally, instead of doing 10 reps this week, we're doing 12 and then we're going to do 15. And then we're going to do 20 reps. One one rep, 20 sets. One rep, 25 sets. One rep, 30 sets. I do that lots of times with uh, with people with muscle-ups as they progress. As long as they're doing them well, that's a simple thing to do. Um, and that's what I'm, and that's like a, that's an easy way to look at what they're doing and progress it forward. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if that answers your question though. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It's just like, because we don't sit down and be like, like what? I wasn't like, okay, so what is the, the vision of, you know, this? But that's, and that's not even, to me, that's not even helpful. Like for, a, for an athlete, for a client, I don't understand. Like, I know, I know that they would be curious at the why, but I don't think they need to know. I don't even think it helps. Like the best athletes, best clients I have, trust me. And that's what they do. Mm -hmm. They tell me what they want to do and that's it. Then yeah. they don't ask questions after that. Yeah. Because they're just like, I know he has my best interest in mind. Um, and that's it. And there's no more questions. because And, that, and for, for people that are competitive, that is vitally important. Because if you start creating doubts about what you're doing and who's helping you, you already lost. Because you already have doubts about what you're doing. Um, you shouldn't have doubts about what you're doing. You should trust, trust the person that's helping you and know that they have your, your best interest in mind. And then you can let everything else relax. Mm -hmm. And you can just do. And that's what you want. Uh, and even for people at an intermediate level, or which is where you're at, mm -hmm. that's what I would want from you. Like, I would want you to tell me, this is what I want to do. And over time, for you to go, I know that he has, he knows what I want to do. And he's thinking of me long term. And that's all I need. Like, I don't need to, I don't need to a big spiel every week to, for him to tell me. Because honestly, after a while, I'd just be going, I don't have any different answers for you. Yeah. It, I'm just going to start making it up if you want. Um, because I'm like, I think about, okay, I've been doing this full time 
for like 11 years or 12 years soon. And I don't know the answer to that. Like, I don't know what it is. Uh, and I would be lying to you if I could tell you that this is exactly why I'm doing this. Uh, because I don't know. And you know what? No one else can tell you the answer either. But they could lie to you and make it up. Um, but that's just a roundabout way of going. Just you want to try to find a, create a good relationship with who you're working with both from the coach's standpoint and the athlete client standpoint. And you want to build on that and build on that and build on that just week to week by just showing like um, engagement. Like you send me your training. I read it over. I try to provide feedback if I feel it's needed. And then we keep going and we keep going and we keep going and try to make sure it's positive, 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 And it builds from there. Yeah. And I think too, like as the athlete on, if once you look at the program and you are doing it, you know why you're doing it, mm-hmm. right? I know exactly why. I'm like, oh, my legs feel like shit right now. Yeah. That's because we're building capacity in them. Yeah. We're doing Olympic lifting. We're working on gymnastic stuff, you know, things yeah. like that. You just, you will kind of know just by doing it too. And it's not to say that you shouldn't ask questions as a, as a client, right? Or as an athlete of a coach. Um, but I would say if you're, if you're asking questions with the purpose of understanding, that's one thing. But if you're asking questions with the purpose of trying to win an argument or show that you're right on something, that's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, because for you as the athlete, you know yourself, right? You don't coach anybody. So you don't understand what you're tr- what, what's, tr- what's trying to go into this potentially. Um, but you might be right on this one little point. Um, but it's a small point. And it's not really that relevant to the overall success of the program. So um, what I'm getting at there is like if, if there's these little things that make you want to bring things up and um, and just kind of prove that like, you know what, why don't you like, why would we be doing this? Why wouldn't we be doing this? I'm like, because I told you to <laughs> like, yeah. OK, we can do it the other way, too, if you want. Um, but then you, you might ask me, why aren't we doing it the other way? Like, well, both of these ways can work. Uh, is that what you want me to tell you? And like, I guess if they think that they know better, then why have somebody else doing programming for them? Yeah, and it, but again, it's a tough, tough situation, right? Because it's not that you're trying to you're not trying to prevent people from asking questions. Because I have people ask questions, ask for clarification all the time. Because I make mistakes in what I wrote down, or they're asking me like, "Is this the right amount? Is this what I'm doing? Is this a good score?" Yada yada. Um, but if you're asking that, like, I don't think I should be doing this, then it's like, I don't think I should be your coach. Mm-hmm. Like that type of that type of answer, because if you don't trust me, what are we doing? And I think that comes with the blog programming or having a coach or anything. If you don't trust that whatever you're doing is yeah. making you better, that it's probably not the right thing for you. Yes, because it goes back to the beginning of it and what's going to create motivated behavior and create motivated athletes, which are then going to try harder and give more effort to all the necessary areas of their ability, of their performance. Yeah. Which is like, you're motivated to get up at the right time. You're motivated to meal prep. You're motivated to train hard. You're motivated to do your warm up. You're motivated to do the mobility required. You're right. You take action. You're like, I have a problem. I, this is important enough to me because I care enough that I'm going to schedule the appointment with my therapist, my physiotherapist, chiropractor, whatever, to get work done on this as a preventative measure. Yeah. So this, this bleeds into everything, right? Um, and if your relationship with the per, your coach is that you're doubting it, whether that's his fault, her fault, or your fault, um, that needs to be, like, changed immediately. Okay, so last one. What advice would you give an athlete that wants to get better at CrossFit and try to get to that competitive level? Um, yeah. What to get better at CrossFit uh, and get to a competitive level? Uh, one, it's number one. If you don't know what you're doing, find someone that does and get them to help you or teach them help help them teach you what what they did to get good. So, like, if there's a really good athlete in your gym or really good competitor in your area that you wanna uh, that you wanna be like, and you're starting out, you may want to ask them or send them a message and ask them what they did and how they got good. And they're all going to tell you something similar to they tried really hard for a really long time. <laughs> so that's really the answer. Um, but in the meantime, you need to have some, you want to try to shorten the distance on that. And what I mean is 
like all these athletes will be able to give you feedback as to what they did wrong and what they would change. Um, and the long and short of it is that like you, you like, you need, you either need to have the innate ability to understand how to guide your ship or you need to get someone to do it for you. And there's no shame in either one. Like if you're really in tune with what you're doing, like, um, or Rich Froning was always like that. I don't, he really didn't have anyone help him for most of anything. Um, Whereas on the other end, I feel like with Tia, I think Tia had her husband helping her and other people helping her the whole time. And same with like Katrin Davis' daughter, she had someone helping her the whole time and Annie Thor's daughter. Um, so if, but if you're one of those people that can do it yourself and you intuitively understand how to do all of it and what worked for you, then you need to do that and you need to try really hard and keep doing it. If you don't, you need someone to help you uh, because you're going to waste you're going to waste precious time and precious years spinning your wheels. And I can't emphasize this, the wasting enough because as I pass into my, what am I? I don't even know how old I am. 33. Um, You're only 33. Yeah, I'm 33. Um, Yeah. It's like, I'm 33 now. And I look back and go, uh, I'm very thankful. I had someone like my brother helping me when I was 20, 21, 22, 23. And if I was doing it on my own, I don't. I would have never made it to the CrossFit Games. And you think of what that does to you. I'm like, what? How would that have changed my life if I was never at that ability? Um, would I? Would I? So then I wouldn't have started with the reputation as a coach that I had, which I just I maybe have earned because I was competing. Didn't mean I was a good coach, but mm-hmm. I had a better reputation because I was competing and I was fairly fit. But it was largely the point of I had someone directing me. And I had someone helping me because they had way more knowledge and way more experience than I did. And I couldn't see the big picture and how everything works. But they had a better idea of it than I do. Um, and if someone's starting out, you have no idea of it, likely. Uh, so you want to try to like attach your boat to someone who really knows where they're going and knows how to help you go get to where you want to go. Um, and that's that's literally number one. That is number one. That's perfect. I love it. That's a great, that's a great place to end it. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thanks so much for coming on and taking this time out of, I know that you're busy already responding to my email from yesterday (laughs) anyways, so that I had to take you away from that and (laughs) you're a busy guy. So yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me. You're welcome. That was fun. Head over to my Instagram page at sweat underscore effect for all of my insights, experiences, and daily dose of goodness. Until next time, keep on having fun and keeping fit.